0: is
1: but what's amazing is is it didn't bother them at all that it was anti-god that People were being bought and sold in it. See, what we end up learning here, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And really what that means is that we always have to be careful as it relates to economics that we allow our desires for safety and prosperity to overrun basic morality of what is right and
0: wrong. A lot of times, when thinking about the end times, the focus tends to be on the Antichrist or the rapture of the church or other main people or events of that time. But did you ever give thought about the regular people that are going to be living then? Pastor Daniel, in his teaching today, is going to give a bit of a character profile of some of the people that are directly affected by God's judgment. You'll be able to determine if they deserved his punishment or not. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, as he continues his study called The Fall of Babylon. Jesus is real.
1: And really, all good relationships are founded on trust and faithfulness. And when that faithfulness is broken, it's incredibly painful. And really what you find is because Babylon is this picture of a life lived without God or in allegiance to things other than God, that really God sees it, whether it be nations or kings or people getting rich through the economic establishments between them and Babylon, God sees all of it as a type of cheating on God. And really, because Jesus is faithful, he invites each one of us to faithfulness. What I love so much about who the Lord is is that repentance is literally us in our hearts acknowledging our unfaithfulness and turning back. Repentance is us saying, God, I have not been faithful to you in my actions. I have not been faithful to you in the motivations of my heart. And God, because I have been unfaithful, I am acknowledging that I have made a mistake and I am turning back. And that's the beauty of life because God doesn't expect perfection from us because he sees who we are. He knows who we are. So this idea of I want my life to be faithful to God, is a huge step and it is the huge engine how we grow. I think what goes on is we get so used to being unfaithful to God that we don't think too much about it anymore. But we need to think about it. Just in the way if a spouse is unfaithful, it's so heartbreaking. If a friend is unfaithful, it's heartbreaking. If a family member turns their back, it's like it's heartbreaking. And so we really want to make sure we see this and that we learn from this so that we don't find ourselves in a place where we are being unfaithful in our hearts to the creator and sustainer who loves us so much that he sent Jesus on a rescue mission. Now what's amazing is is really you find that Babylon's influence is pervasive, but then in verse 4, look at what it says. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plague. So in the middle of all of this, this voice comes from heaven and it's really saying to the people of God, the people of heaven saying, listen, whatever you do, you need to be separate from her. You need to come out of Babylon and this reminds me very much of the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, which is actually a quotation from Isaiah 52. It says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so, What's amazing is at this time, Babylon is being judged and God is saying, listen, I want you to be separate from her. And I'm here to tell you that in every generation, and especially in our generation today, each one of us need to learn the art of living within the world that we live, but also maintaining a holy separation from it. Now, I'm just going to be honest. This is church. We can be honest, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. This is not easy to do. And the reason it's not easy to do is because we all live here now and we're all living in the soup of what this all is. And so it's hard to make sense out of what does it mean to be in the world and not of the world? What does it mean to live and engage with this world as Jesus would, but also maintain a separation from it? Now, here's what I want to tell you. There are some people and some churches who will say, We are absolutely separate from the world, but they're actually not separate the way Jesus talked about They're just separate because they did it the way everyone used to do it like 30 years ago. And I'm here to tell you, 30 years ago, it was hard to maintain a in it but not of it posture. And trying to impose that on today, that doesn't work because it ain't 40 years ago. Can I get an amen? Everyone has an internet. Praise the Lord. Everyone gets coffee. Very expensive. Anybody want to go back to Folgers only? (laughs) Didn't think so. Didn't think so. It's like, actually... No, I actually don't want that. Anyway, I'm going to move on from that. (laughs) So there are people who are like, no, 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 listen. We are the separate people. And I'm here to tell you, no, they're just trying to go back to a time that doesn't exist anymore. Really what God is asking us, each one of us individually as a church family, he's asking us to all do the dirty work of what does it mean to live here, engage with this, but also maintain a heart separation from it. And we need each other to learn how to do that. And it's not neat and tidy. I know everybody wishes there was like the book of how to be a good Christian in your Bible. The Bible's perfect, but it doesn't have that for us. Like, how do we deal with this? And what do we do with this? And what happens is, is rather than the body of Christ coming together and talking through the dynamics of it, what we do is we get mad at one another and we throw stones at each other, which is exactly what Jesus told us not to do, which is absurd, But here's what I want to tell you. At street level where we live, we all need to try and figure out how to live here and be salt and light in the midst of this world and at the same time maintain a separation in our hearts from it. Jesus used that example, salt and light. I always like to remind people, salt in your spice rack is good, but it's even better when it's seasoning the meat. And what some churches do is they say, listen, we're salt, we're going to be separate. So we're going to stay over here, we're going to build a compound, and we're never going to deal with anybody. Stay away. Which is not what Jesus wants, because Jesus didn't do that. Or in the same way, some other churches will go and they say, we need to be in this world, and then they become so much like the world that now the salt loses its flavor. And those are the extremes, and God wants us in that tense, messy middle that we're supposed to live in. Where we're navigating, like, how do we do this? What does this look like? We talk to it, we pray through it. Sometimes people do things different ways. But the key is still the same. God wants us to impact our community and our world while maintaining a separation from it in the depths of our hearts and the depths of our souls. And that's what is being called to at this time. Because what's going on now is God is calling his people out because he's saying, now it's time for the judgment of Babylon to come. So it says, her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Now listen, every time you read in the Bible that God has remembered something, I don't want you to think that God has long-term memory issues. The word God remembered always means that God is now choosing to act in accordance with the covenant that he has made with his creation. Every time your Bible says, and God remembered, it means God has made a covenant promise and he's going to act on it. And it always means God remembered. Okay, so it's not that God's having memory issues. God doesn't need a memory care facility, even though one day I'm definitely going to need that. (laughs) Joyfully, I'm not going to remember all the things I've forgotten already, <laughs> you know. But the beauty is, is that God is acting now, and it's time for Babylon to be judged. Now, what's, what's what happens next is when you get to verses 9 to 20, I'm going to give you the principle, and then I'm going to unpack it for you. But verses 9 to 20 here teach us that your response reveals your heart. Like the way we respond to life reveals what's in our hearts. Because really what we find in verses 9 to 20 is that there's three almost like dirges or laments. The first one comes from the kings of the earth. Because of the destruction of Babylon. The second one comes from the merchants of the earth who have grown rich by their economic ties to Babylon. And then the third one is the people who work in the oceans, the maritime trade who were delivering the goods from Babylon. And for all three of them, they're expressing their sadness over the destruction of Babylon. But for each one of them, the way that they're responding gives us a view into our heart. And I'm here to tell you the same is true for us, that our responses reveal the things that are in our hearts. Let me read it to you. Verse 9, it says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon! That mighty city for in one hour, your judgment has come and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, which is scented wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of precious wood bronze, iron, and marble, verse 13, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of all these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Verse 17, for in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster... All who travel by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads, and they cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So really what we find here is we get these three responses, and the response reveals what's in their hearts. Now, I want you to make a little note, because really, if you were to read what we just read, And if you were to read Ezekiel chapter 27 side by side, they almost mirror, except Ezekiel 27 is a lament for the destruction of the coastal city called Tyre. I imagine when John was writing this and inspired by the spirit, he was like, oh, I remember this. They're very, very similar. But really what you find here is whether it's the kings of the earth, whether it's the merchants who made money, so that the kings, their power, their power, Babylon was a part of that. The merchants, they had economic ties and they made money selling the goods of Babylon. And then, of course, the people who worked on the oceans and the waters. It's funny, I was thinking about this, that almost none of us have thought very much about how we get our goods across the globe until the last two years when you couldn't find toilet paper. Like, you just unload those crates so I can be clean? You know what I mean? But they, like, we all saw those pictures of ports with all these boats and everything stuck on them. We forget that a lot of goods... Pass through this globe in the waters. But what we find is for the kings, the merchants, and then the people who work the boats. All of them are lamenting the destruction of Babylon because of the impact that it has on the thing that they do and how they do it. The kings liked what Babylon brought to them. The merchants liked the economic enrichment that came from working with Babylon same thing with the ship people they enjoyed the benefits of that but what's amazing is is it didn't bother them at all that it was anti-god that people were being bought and sold in it see what we end up learning here the bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil And really what that means is that we always have to be careful as it relates to economics that we allow our desires for safety and prosperity to overrun basic morality of what is right and wrong. Now, I realize I say this stuff and I'm like, man, everyone hates when you talk like this, Fusco, but that's what the Bible gives us. So we're going to talk about it. There's an example that I want to give and I won't give it because it's a little bit off color, but it's so important to realize what would you do for money? what would you sell your soul for? That's an important question. If you ever watch any TV programs or movies, you're like, well, everyone's got a price. And it's true. It's just now you're just haggling over dollars. Like, where do you, where, what were you willing to profit that you'll give up your own soul for? And the thing is, is that is a form of spiritual adultery where you're willing to compromise just for some money. But money is a strong driver in our culture, isn't it? You know, I, I talk to my kids about this all the time. I always say, listen, I'll know that I'm a good parent if you never end up on a reality TV show or an epic fails video. Like, like I have the low, low bar for being a good parent. It's like, as long as you're not on a reality TV show and an epic fails thing, I'm happy. Like, like, we made it, you know? Because a lot of times, like, what people will do for money? What corners will you cut just to make a little extra money? Right? Like, what are we willing to give up for it? What we'll find is that at the end here, all these folks are bummed because Babylon's been destroyed simply because their heart is wrong. And we have to remember this. The way we respond reveals our hearts. Jesus said it this way. This is Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 to 21. Jesus said, do you not yet understand that whatever enters your mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. See, what Jesus was getting at is, in that culture, Jesus and his disciples would get in trouble because they wouldn't do the ceremonial washings the way the rabbis taught. And they'd be, like, no, this is the problem. And Jesus said, like, no, no, the problem isn't that we eat with... Not with the right hand washing. And don't get me wrong. Wash your hands before you eat people. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, cleanliness is next to godliness or so they say. And so just wash your hands. But if you don't wash your hands, it's not like the food that you're eating is like perfectly sterilized. Does that make sense? But he's really saying, it's not what goes into you that's the problem. It's what comes out of you. And so what I would tell you is that you being very aware of how you respond to things, how you react to situations, that shows what is actually in your heart. Let me give you a personal example. I always say that confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. So because I'm all Italian, I'm from New Jersey, right? And that's not my excuse. That's just my variable for life. And what that means if people love you, they pick on you. They say mean things on purpose to get a rise out of you. Now, it's kind of a sick type of love. People call it toxic today. That was just the way that I was raised. So I remember growing up, I'd always see people that, you'd know that they liked you if they picked on you. And if they didn't like you, they wouldn't say anything to you, which is really, really sick. I remember when when my bride Lynn met my dad, she said, I don't think your dad likes me. I'm like, why? He's like, he always picks on you. I'm like, no, that means he likes you. Do you know that other guy over there? Yeah, he's just, he doesn't say anything to me yet yeah, because he doesn't like him. She's like, that's very weird. And I'm like, I didn't realize it, was, it is weird. It's just the way I was raised. So I remember growing up, I would see people, especially with their spouses, they would say hurtful things. And I remember saying to myself, I am never going to say anything intentionally hurtful to Lynn. And I remember we must have been married for like two months and something happened, we had a disagreement and I said something intentionally hurtful. And I felt lousy. Like, I'm just like, ugh. Oh. And I remember I got in the car and we like, we're going into a parked car and I'm like, I am so sorry. And I never want to talk that way to you. You do not deserve that. And I remember I was talking to a buddy of mine who was also a pastor. who was like kind of like a friend an accountability friend, somebody who I would share my life with. And he's like, how's marriage going? And I'm like, it's hard, you know? And I'm like, but then I confess, I'm like, i never wanted to say anything intentionally hurtful to Lynn. So not, that just like, doesn't need to be said. He said it because it would hurt her. And I did it the other day. And he's like, good. And I'm like, what? He's like, now at least you know what's in your heart. He's like, that stuff was in there before. But now that you've seen it, now you know what's in there. And he said to me, it's so beautiful. He said, when you're sick and you go to a doctor, the doctor tells you what's wrong and then you can start dealing with it. It's not that that thing is new. It's been there for a little while. But at least now because you've seen it, you know what it is. And isn't that a beautiful perspective shift for all of us that when you respond to something and you don't like your response, that's not new. That's always been in your heart. But now that you see it, your response reveals what's in there and our God, who is the great heart surgeon, gets in there and says, okay, yeah, so that whole thing, we're going to change that because that's who you used to be. That's not who you are as my child. Maybe that's how your family did it. That's how God speaks to me. Maybe the way you were raised, they did it that way. But in my family, we don't talk to people that way. But what's in your heart, it's revealed through the way that you respond. And I think for us, as followers of Jesus, we should be very honest with ourselves about the issues in our responses, and we should take ownership for them. Like, don't ever forget that Christians are the type of people who we believe that we need a Savior, so we come to Jesus admitting that we're flawed. So once we admit that we're flawed, then when we see the flawed parts of our nature, we should be quick to own those things. Be like, hey, I shouldn't act that way. Hey, I, should, I, re- I didn't respond that way. And then we need to, we, we ask for forgiveness from God and from others. But then we say, Lord, will you do the work that's in my heart? But whether it's species of pride or arrogance or Woundedness or there's scar tissue there from something else you're giving to somebody something else somebody did There's all these reasons why that stuff is in there, but we say lord. Will you transform my heart? I see this now, but it's not supposed to be there forever And our responses Reveal what's in there so that God can transform it. I really think it's a beautiful way to apply what we're seeing here now I want you to notice that all three of them Make the case that the city was great And that the judgment Happened swiftly, in an hour So the judgment that's Coming upon Babylon is going to be Swift and total, now at this point In the message Everybody wants to know, okay What's the, what's Babylon Is everybody ready Can I get a drum roll Good, ready, drum roll And the meaning of Babylon Is, is I don't know I don't know. And now here's why. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick theology nerd thing. So if, you, if I lose your, I'll be right back in a second. Here's what you need to know. So first, remember I told you that there's numerous ways to interpret the book of Revelation. And depending on which way you choose to interpret it, then it gives you a, a whole bunch of answers come in those ways. Now, one of those ways is what's called commonly the preterist view, which means everything was fulfilled in the time of the writing in the first century. So for the apostle John, when he's hearing this, you know what he's thinking? Rome. Because Rome was the center of the Roman Empire. They were oppressing him. That's how that. So, and, and they were being persecuted by the Romans. So it's like he was in like a Roman mining colony, like under arrest. So it's like John would think Rome. Now, what's interesting is if you fast forward about 1700 years after the Protestant Reformation, where a bunch of Catholics said, Hey, I don't know if we got this together. And then the, the Catholic Church kicked them out and it's called Protestantism protestants are like oh yeah babylon is definitely rome so and if you look at all the history of the way to interpret the book of revelation find whoever their enemy is and they'll say that's babylon okay so some people say oh babylon is rome so that's one definition a lot of other people think that babylon is actually babylon the city that sits in the euphrates What's interesting is that obviously the children of Israel were sent into Babylonian exile and there was great palaces there. And many of you remember in the early days of the internet, remember when we had dial-up, there was a Bible conspiracy theorist who had sent around pictures of that Saddam Hussein had rebuilt Babylon. So some people think it's literally like literal the city of Babylon in the Euphrates. And some people would say that maybe in the future... The Antichrist and all of the kings that are part of that, if we have a futuristic interpretation, that the center of that is going to be in literal Babylon.
0: Jesus is real. In his teaching today, Pastor Daniel reminded you about God's original intention for mankind, which was to be in fellowship with Him forever. As you know, mankind messed that up, which gets us to where we are today. You learned about the mindset of the people who thought that Babylon was the most important thing in the world, and how that attitude exists in the world right now, and how to reject it and follow God.
1: Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com.
0: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel kicks off his new teaching, The Return of Jesus. You'll finally get to the good part of this story, if you're on the right side, that is, and find out what happens when Jesus comes back for the second time. Pastor Daniel will show the importance of being more than just a churchgoer. This is all about the relationship you yourself have with Jesus. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.